the History Channel original podcast. History This Week, April 18th, 1933. I'm Sally Helm. At the White House, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt has gathered his economic advisors for a late-night meeting. He has been meeting with them a lot. Roosevelt took office about six weeks ago, and the Great Depression is ravaging the country. The U.S. economy is basically at a standstill. Unemployment is at an all-time high. Banks are collapsing left and right. It really feels like an economic apocalypse. But FDR has a plan, and he's going to reveal it tonight. He tells his advisors, I want to talk about the Thomas Amendment to the Agricultural Adjustment Act. This may sound like absolutely the most boring thing in the world, but Roosevelt's advisors are stunned. One of them later says, at that moment, hell broke loose. Because with this obscure amendment to an agricultural bill, Roosevelt wants to do something completely radical. He wants to change a fundamental fact about the U.S. economy. The U.S. at this time is on something called the gold standard. That means that one dollar corresponds to a certain amount of actual gold sitting in a vault somewhere. And Roosevelt knows that to help fight the Great Depression, that has got to change. Some of his advisors, though, think that going off the gold standard is almost against, like, the laws of nature. To them, money is gold. They all fight about this for hours. But Roosevelt is resolute. The advisors leave around midnight looking haggard and go back to a hotel room to keep talking to each other. They're worried that this move is going to cause utter chaos. As he leaves the room that night, one of the men says to the others, quote, This is the end of Western civilization. Today, President Roosevelt changes the meaning of money. How did the gold standard help create the greatest economic depression the country has ever seen? And how did Roosevelt's decision that day redefine money itself? 79 on the periodic table. Back in the 19th century, when it came to currency, gold was, pun intended, the gold standard. People thought that it was this natural, shiny thing that was just obviously the basis of money. It is shiny. <laughs> They're right about it being shiny. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's really shiny. That's Jacob Goldstein. He wrote a book called Money, the True Story of a Made-Up 
He's also one of the hosts of the Planet Money podcast. Where you used to work. Where I used to work. (laughs) We used to have desks right next to each other. For as long as I have known Jacob, he has been fascinated by what money is. Like, way back in 2010, he did this story about the island of Yap, where these big stone disks serve as money. The disks can weigh as much as a car. There have been lots and lots of ways throughout history to do money. But in the U.S. and Europe, for a long time, that way was gold. A dollar was worth a certain specific amount. So in the U.S., it was $20.67 got you an ounce of gold. That is the gold standard. And people really liked it. This policy meant that the government couldn't just print money willy-nilly. It made international trade easier. And it was also just seen as the natural way of doing things. This idea that, like, oh, gold. Gold is not some human invention. It's not some weird thing that bankers cooked up or that governments cooked up. It's an element. You know, it's existed before the Earth existed. It is natural. And that, I think, is the underappreciated touchy-feely reason that people loved the gold standard. And it also is what helped to ultimately cause the Great Depression. Before we get to doomsday, let's imagine together the U.S. economy long before the Great Depression. We'll start in the 19th century. First off, there are a lot of farmers. Something like 20% of people are working in agriculture. And then there's the whole gold situation. Banks really did have bars of gold sitting around in vaults. And if you wanted to, you could take your paper money and go to the bank and say, give me this amount of gold. It actually says on the paper money, you know, good for whatever, $5 in gold. So it was explicit, this idea that this thing you're carrying around is just a claim check for gold. Back in the 1840s, before the Civil War, those receipts were printed by thousands of local banks across the U.S. At that time, the country had more than 8,000 kinds of money. Some bankers put their own face (laughs) on the money. Why not, right? You're printing the money? Sure. There was a bank, I think it was a bank of St. Nicholas in New York that put Santa Claus (laughs) on the money. Although there were a few other banks that also put Santa Claus on the money for no reason as far as I could tell, except maybe that it's fun to put Santa Claus on the money. (laughs) It was such a free-for-all that shop owners had to buy these periodicals that listed all the different types of bills. They'd cross-reference that to figure out whether a customer's money was legit. You find the state and you find the bank, and then it says, sure enough, like the $1 bills from the St. Nicholas Bank in New York have Santa Claus on them, and they have all these other descriptions of what it looks like. And you say, okay, it's valid. I'll take your money. This system worked, but it was risky. Your money was only as good as the bank that had issued it. If you had money in a bank, and that bank went out of business, as banks did a lot at the time, you lost your money. Now, today, we have something called deposit insurance. The government guarantees that if a bank goes under, you don't lose all your money. But the U.S. didn't have that back then. And one unnerving fact about banks, this is still true today, is that banks are not just money vaults. They also make loans. So when you deposit your money in a bank, it's not just sitting there waiting for you. The bank is lending it out to other people. This is normal. But if a bank is looking kind of shaky, like it might go under, then this normal fact about banking becomes very stressful. 
So there's this weird incentive in that universe. If you are a little worried, you want to get there before everybody else because you want to get your money out before they run out of money, right? So it's actually rational for you to go at the first sign of worry to beat all the other schmucks so you can be the one who gets your money out and they can be screwed when the bank runs out of money. But if a bunch of people do this at once, it can become a financial crisis. In the 1800s and early 1900s, this happened kind of regularly. These crises were called panics. There was the Panic of 1837, the Panic of 1873, the Panic of 1907. And finally, in 1914, the U.S. is like, enough with the panics. And they create something called the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, the Fed. The Fed had two key jobs. One was to smooth out fluctuations in interest rates, and the other... The other thing the Fed was supposed to do that I think is more interesting was help fight and even prevent financial crises. Because a central bank can lend money to other banks when customers come knocking on the door demanding gold. And that can prevent a panic from getting out of control. The U.S. sets up the Federal Reserve System in 1914. Also, back in the 1860s, paper money had been standardized, and now the Federal Reserve can print paper money for the country. So, by the 1920s, we've got a central bank and no more Santa Claus cash. It is called the Roaring Twenties for a reason. The 20s famously was this kind of birth of mass consumer culture, right? So there is a lot of credit in the 1920s. People are borrowing money to buy these amazing new technological things. They're starting to buy refrigerators, and they're buying cars in large numbers and radios. And eventually, you know what happens. All this wild spending and speculation reaches a peak. And in October of 1929, stock prices begin to fall. There's like Black Thursday, Black Monday, Black Tuesday in the uh, fall of 29. And it's basically the stock market goes down and it goes down some more. And as it goes down, people do what they do. They panic. Some people had bought stocks on credit. They start to sell those stocks to pay back their loans. That drives down stock prices even more. Before you know it, the economy is in freefall, barreling towards a recession. But... The U.S. now has the Fed. It was created for moments exactly like this. So the Fed, at this moment, does what it's supposed to do. The New York Fed steps in and starts lending money to the banks so that the banks don't collapse, basically. And it works, like the banks don't collapse. Sure, there's a recession, but there have been recessions before. In fact, newspapers at the time are optimistic. One New York paper publishes a poll of industry executives a day after the crash, expressing confidence in the future of the country's business prosperity. That poll will not age well. Pretty soon, the Fed is going to do something that will turn this recession into a capital D depression. By 1931, the economy is still suffering. Unemployment is rising, and prices are falling. Which might sound like a good thing, but it means that if you're a regular farmer, you are falling deeper and deeper into debt. You used to have to sell 100 hogs to pay your mortgage. 
but the price of hogs falls in half. Now you have to sell 200 hogs to pay the same mortgage, right? You have to work more to pay the same debt. And people begin to, yes, panic. They start flocking to the banks. They want to beat their neighbors, get their money out, and also cash in their paper money for gold. Shiny, shiny gold. There is a run on the banks. What does a run on a bank look like on the ground? I mean, the short version is everybody goes to the bank and asks for their money back, and the bank doesn't have it. It's that scene in Mary Poppins where everyone goes to the bank hall, but multiplied by many, many banks all across the country. There's the line out the door. There's the stories of the bank manager telling the tellers when people come in to demand their money in a panic to count it out very slowly. Pay them in dimes. You know, just slow it down so that we can, you know, get to the end of the day without all of the dollar bills going out the door. Now, the Fed sees what's happening, and they turn to the gold standard playbook. So what the Fed sees is, oh, my God, all these people are turning in their paper dollars for gold. We need to encourage people to keep their money in the bank, right? We need to give them a reason not to hold gold, but to hold their money in the bank. And that reason is higher interest rates. Higher interest rates. Because they make it smart to keep your money in the bank where it can rack up interest. But there is a problem with this move by the Fed. Because higher interest rates also mean that anyone who is already in debt has to pay a higher interest rate on their loans. So farmers are driven further into debt, businesses default and close, unemployment goes way up. This is no longer just your average recession. This decision in 1931 to raise interest rates is, I think, the moment when we go from, like, a bad economic downturn to the Great Depression. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The man who is president during the worst disaster in American economic history is Herbert Hoover. And in 1932, not only is the economic news terrible, but it's also an election year. 
Hoover's opponent, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, will not let people forget who has been sitting in the White House as the economy crashes and burns. We will break foolish tradition and leave it to the Republican leadership, far more skilled in that art, to break promises. Roosevelt basically campaigns as not Hoover. He doesn't state a clear economic plan. He just promises something different. And he doesn't take a clear stance on the gold standard one way or the other. But Hoover, for the record, is all in on the gold standard. And in November of 1932, with the economy in shambles, FDR wins in a landslide. Today, he would have been inaugurated a few months later, in January. But back then, the new president wasn't inaugurated until March. There was this, whatever, December, January, February, this four-month gap when you have a lame duck. And this is a particularly bad moment to have a lame duck. Because during those first months of 1933, things go from bad to worse to worse than they have ever been before in history. There is a wave of bank failures and bank runs all across the country. And in the middle of all that, in early March, Roosevelt takes the podium to deliver his inaugural address. In that speech is his famous line. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's a beautiful line. But it's a perfect line if you're trying to stop a wave of bank runs, right? Because the fundamental problem with the bank runs is not necessarily the banks. It's the fear of the banks, right? For the reason we were talking about earlier. If you are afraid that your bank is going to go out of business, your fear and your action of taking your money out of the bank because of your fear, that is going to cause the bank to go out of business. So to stop this self-fulfilling prophecy, Roosevelt is saying... Don't be afraid. But he does not rely on words alone to stop the bank runs. The weekend he gets inaugurated, he closes every bank in America. Oh, my God. Which is extraordinary, right? And, like, there are no credit cards. There are no ATM machines, you know? So, like, literally this means people can't get money. And he also says, oh, and by the way, you also can't take your dollar bills to the Fed and trade them for gold. People cannot get money. In some places, they resort to bartering. Hogs for dresses and and, uh, canned fish for shoes, you know. There's this town in Washington state that prints money out of cedar bark. And then, while Roosevelt has everyone's attention, he fires up his microphone for his first national radio address, the Fireside Chat. And he gives this, like primer on banking. <laughs> he, he he sits there and just explains to America how a bank works. I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. He's not overselling it, you know. He's, he's saying, I'm going to talk to you about banking. And he says, when you deposit money in a bank, the bank does not put the money into a safe deposit vault. You know, the bank puts your money to work to keep the wheels of industry and agriculture turning around. What then happened? during the last few days of February and the first few days of March. Because of undermined confidence on the part of the public, there was a general rush. So he's saying all of these bank failures and bank runs, they weren't because the banks were bad banks, right? Don't be afraid of your bank. 
be afraid of your fear, right? It's, it's, a, it's a sort of slightly more technical version of the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Roosevelt promises that the government will investigate every bank in the country and only let them reopen if they are financially sound. He asks the American public to trust him. And does it work? Yes. Within days after he gave that speech, banks started to reopen. People were lined up outside the banks, but they were not there to take their money out. They were there to put it back in. It was like a bank run in reverse. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. Now, remember, during the bank holiday, people also were not allowed to exchange their paper money for gold. And the next month, Roosevelt takes that a step further. He issues an executive order saying that people have to turn in their gold to the Federal Reserve, their gold coins, their gold bullion. You can't keep that anymore. You have to give it to us, the government, and we'll give you paper money in exchange. Like, imagine if a president did that today, how bananas people would go. Uh, But it basically worked. People did turn in their gold. Roosevelt is now inching towards the unimaginable, taking the U.S. off of the gold standard. The reason he's thinking about this is because of those falling prices we mentioned earlier. Falling prices mean that the economy grinds to a halt. What Roosevelt needs is more money flowing through the economy. If people have more money to spend, they'll start buying stuff again and prices will go up because there's more demand. So basically, if the government can print more money, Roosevelt hopes the economy will kick into gear. But the gold standard is partly there to stop the government from just printing more money. And so the president thinks it is time for the gold standard to go. On April 18th, he takes the plunge. He gathers his economic advisors together after dinner. They walk into the room, and Roosevelt turns to them and he says, congratulate me, we are off the gold standard. (gasps) Right. Gasp. Tucked inside a bill going through Congress, the Agricultural Adjustment Act, is an amendment that would allow the president to adjust the value of gold against the dollar. No more gold standard. And Roosevelt says he's going to back it. The direct quote is, at that moment, all hell broke loose. It was hours of these guys pacing around, arguing, begging, trying to convince Roosevelt not to do this thing, not to go off the gold standard. It is hard to imagine how big this would have felt to them. I was thinking, like, what would feel that weird to us, right? And I was thinking, like, if the government suddenly was like, a week is not seven days. (laughs) We need to fix the economy. A week is eight days. And so if you have some contract about, like, how much your rent is every week. Well, now suddenly your rent is not per every seven days. It's per every eight days. And like, oh, it's a little cheaper, your rent. And then the landlord's like, wait a minute. You're just arbitrarily changing the definition of a week. I would feel like they did something unnatural, but I guess... Unnatural is right. Yeah. And I picked week on purpose because a week is weirdly, unlike the day, the month, and the year, a week is arbitrary. A week is not a thing. It's not the moon spinning around the earth or the earth spinning around the sun. It's just seven days. But a week feels like a fact of nature. And to these men, the gold standard felt that way. But Roosevelt's mind was made up. 
as the story goes, he pulls a $10 bill from his pocket and says, why is this worth $10? Because I believe it is. Not because there is some amount of gold sitting in a vault somewhere. It's worth $10 if everybody agrees to believe it's $10. And so Roosevelt realizes that he does not have to be bound by this old rule. One ounce of gold does not inherently equal $20.67. We've just decided that it did. And after this amendment passes, it doesn't anymore. Roosevelt and his advisors use their new power to help fight the falling prices that are bringing the whole economy down. And the power to fight falling prices was exactly what the government needed to fight the Depression. And so, ending the gold standard helps bring an end to the Great Depression. There are still some gold standard remnants in the U.S. until the 1970s. Nixon gets rid of those. But Roosevelt's decision is the gold standard's effective end he redefines money in a way that we are still living with. It's the moment money goes from being what it had been for literally like a thousand years before that, right? Paper money is a claim check for gold or silver. It goes from that to the money we have today. Today, we live in a world where money is backed by nothing, where, as Roosevelt said, in the room that day, a $10 bill is valuable because we all agree that it's valuable. And for no other reason. I think people are freaked out by that fact about money, that it seems to be backed by nothing. Should they be? I mean, it's not crazy to be freaked out by it. You know, the world is tenuous in many ways, right? Like, we could talk about the law the same way, right? The law isn't a real thing. It's just a bunch of people deciding to do one thing or another, And money doesn't exist in the world independent of people, right? There is no natural money. You can make up whatever you want. Which is, admittedly, kind of scary. Because we have to trust that the thing we've made up will keep on working. And right now, some things feel like they are not working. We are suffering through a major economic shock. Many, many people have lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. And last March, people were legitimately worried about another Great Depression. So, the Federal Reserve stepped in. I mean, I guess if we want a note of hope, it is also true that the central bank, the Federal Reserve, sort of like figured some stuff out, like gained some powers during this time that now they use all the time to try to keep the economy stable, right? Yes, yes. I mean... All the time like now, all the time like just last year, right? If we were on the gold standard last year, we might have had another Great Depression. Bad as things are, the economy is not currently in another Great Depression. Unemployment is high, but banks aren't collapsing. Money isn't disappearing. Prices as of now have been relatively stable. And all of that is largely because of the Federal Reserve and the lessons they learned back in the 1930s. The Fed, chastened by the Depression, still rushed in like it was created to do and started lending money to everybody who needed it. And there was no collapse. And that is great. That is a huge success. Jacob says when a bad thing doesn't happen, that can be easy to miss. Especially now, in the midst of so much bad stuff that is happening. 
But his point is, things truly could be worse if the Fed had not learned its lesson from the Great Depression. And if Roosevelt hadn't seen clearly that gold, it's not the be-all and end-all of money. It's just a rock. A very shiny rock. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. This episode was produced by McKamey Lynn and Julia Press. History This Week is also produced by Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.